0: Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.
1: Welcome to the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, January 25th. Before we get to today's show, we just want to say a huge thank you to all of you Cracked Rackets fans out there who joined us for our Red Zone coverage of the 2021 ITA kickoff weekend. We were so excited to get this idea off the ground for the start of the college tennis season, and it means so much to us to have so many of you reach out and give your support for our efforts. It will help us immensely moving forward as we approach other schools and try to convince them to join our coverage to allow us to use Use their so sincerely from all of us here at Cracked Rackets. Thank you for all of your kind words. Thank you for uh, watching along with us in what was truly a fantastic kickoff weekend. And of course, on the Great Shot podcast on either uh, Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, Matt Stachowiak, yeah, Chris Halliores, and I will come together to recap all of the action. But of course, the professional tennis season carries on into 2021. We are inching closer and closer to the start of the ATP and WTA action in Australia. We have ITF and Challenger events going on as they always do over these past couple of weeks and that will be the topic of our podcast tomorrow as Crack Rackets contributor Judson Wall going to join me for his weekly review preview something all of you listeners can expect more of again throughout this 2021 season but on today's podcast we have a fun show for all of you listeners another one of our newest Cracked Rackets contributors David Gertler joins me on the show for a continuation of our next-gen ATP 2.0 series. And look, we're not going to do these episodes every week throughout the course of the year, but it does feel like while we have a bit of downtime we can take a little bit longer to look at some of the young rising talents in the men's game and certainly here already in 2021 uh, Sebastian Corda, one of those young rising talents uh, has put together maybe the best result of the season from any next gen player. He reaches the final of the Delray Beach ATP 250 uh, plays a fantastic event right where he knocks off Tommy Paul. He knocks off John Isner, and he looks well on his way not only to cracking the top 100 of the rankings, but certainly uh, perhaps ascending even further than that top 50 and on and on as his career continues. David joins me on the show today to talk about young Sebastian Corda, talk about what he's already accomplished in his game, talk about his strengths, his weaknesses, what we expect to see from him during this 2021 season and so much more. It's always fun when I get the chance to chat with David, and since we had him here this conversation happened early last or late last week but not too much has changed since then. I wanted to hear his thoughts on everything that's happened in Australia and I'm recording this intro outro on Monday. Nothing too crazy happened over the weekend. I know they had the announcement of a new WTA warm-up event for those players who are in the super quarantine right now and again that's something we'll talk about more tomorrow with Judson but you know I just wanted to get David's perspective because certainly uh the breakdown between the players, the Australian government, the conflict they seem to be in. We talked about it a little bit last week with Matt Futterman, but it is the story right now in professional tennis. So we talk about that at the top and then get into our next-gen ATP 2.0 episode. It's a podcast I know all of you listeners will enjoy. Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out, because of the support you listeners continue to show us, because of our Patreon family, and of course, because of the love we get from our friends at Midwest Sports, MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15 to get the best equipment at the best prices in the entire tennis industry. But, With that in mind, let's get to our next edition of our next-gen ATP 2.0 series, Breaking Down, Young American Sebastian Corda.
0: Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Joining us on the podcast once again
1: today, you know him as a writer for our website, CrackRackets.com, for the last word on tennis blog. You may just know him also as an outspoken member of the tennis Twitter community. More importantly, I know him as a fellow Wolverine and my friend, David Gertler. David, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Doing
2: okay. Thanks for having me.
1: It is always a pleasure. And I feel like okay on the spectrum. That's not too bad, right? It could have been worse over this nine month stretch of the pandemic. I feel like a lot of the time we felt less than okay. So I'll take okay. I feel like that's a victory.
2: I used to like my like uh, my stock answer used to be good. And now (laughs) my stock answer is okay. I I appreciate it. No, I appreciate that you are
1: staying creative. I think for the first seven months, at the start of every podcast, I would ask the the guest, "How are you doing?" and they would say, "Good. How are you?" and I would say, "It's another day in paradise, right?" Because <laughs> it really is just another day in paradise at this point. And luckily for us, David, we have tennis back in our lives, right? Things have slowed down relatively this week compared uh, to time the first.
2: Zones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true, but Vistible.
1: you know, relative, I wish I could- relative exactly relative to the first two weeks of the season we don't have the ATP WT action from start to finish of the day but we do have a couple of challengers ITF events going on this weekend of course that will carry over into next week as well as we wait for the ATP and WTA tours to resume play in Australia but that's actually what I want to ask you about first before we get to today's edition of our next gen ATP 2.0 series because anyone who follows you on Twitter knows David you you are not afraid to offer your opinion you are not afraid to share what you believe on an issue even if it is not the popular opinion going around on tennis twitter and obviously it's a very polarizing subject as almost every subject seems to be on twitter nowadays in regards to what is currently happening in australia clearly there was some degree of miscommunication some degree of lack of coordination between right. the players and tennis australia obviously it is the government of Australia dictating the policies in place. And let's be clear, you know, we we say this every time we bring up this topic, but there's a reason Australia is doing so much better relative with their numbers uh, per capita yeah. regarding COVID than elsewhere in the world. I say this every time. They don't measure their cases in the tens of thousands. They measure it in the tens. When there are 20 cases in a given day, that's cause for concern for Australia. And we had Matt Futterman of the New York Times on Thursday's mini break podcast, and you know, he made the point. Point, and I thought it was a really good one that uh, of all the sacrifices that are being made by the Australian people and the fact that uh, over the past over the past, I think, seven days, all of the cases that have been introduced to Australia regarding covid have come from people traveling to Australia from abroad. So, again, they're not f-ing around, for lack and, of a better and term. I
2: think that Steve um, Tennessee uh, on Twitter really wrote a great article from the, an Australian's perspective. I don't know if you saw that.
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And I also love it's hilarious because I don't know his last name either. I know him as Ace Previews, too. But yes, Steve, who we have had on the show, did write about why, uh, you know, you see the responses from some of these tennis players, the complaints that they're that they're fielding uh, that the uh, Australian government is fielding from them. And some of them are a little bit ridiculous. And of course, Novak Djokovic, the face of so much criticism, always on behalf of so many players wrote a list of requests to Tennis Australia, to the Australian government that were quickly, you know, denied. I um, respect but all-
2: that he's always trying to stick up for players, which even though he, sometimes he does it the wrong way, he's still, you know, trying to, you know, stand up for his fellow players, which yeah, I, no, I've, I respect at least, you know.
1: Ab- absolutely. I've said it before. I'll say it again. All he needs to do is hire a good press agent because I- the, the idea <laughs> is there. It's the execution, right, that always seems exactly. to just be – slightly off. But anyways, all of this is just to recap and to say, you know, the the conflict seems to be at an impasse right now. Players are expressing frustration. Of course, Tennis Australia has done everything possible. They're supplying them with food. They're supplying them with workout equipment, but they can't circumvent government regulations. And I'm just curious, David, because again, it's a polarizing issue. You can completely understand from at at a basic level, the perspective of a player to be locked in your room for two weeks and then to be asked to compete at the highest level of your profession. Uh, That is not a request I would enjoy. I'm sure. That's not a request you would enjoy either, and you can understand why they're getting frustrated. You can only stay in such good shape while working out in your room and hitting balls against the wall. At the same time, as you mentioned in Steve's article and as has been pointed out by so many people, we are dealing with a pandemic a tennis tournament is a luxury the safety of the Australian people is far more important than ensuring these tennis players uh, are able to be you know have maximum comfort when playing this (laughs) event so I guess I'm just curious with all of that in mind
2: there still shouldn't be mice in the room so that was I was not expecting that
1: yeah I think that's a that's a separate issue right I mean that's a hotel (laughs) issue less than a quarantine issue. but all this is to say David Where do you rest? And again, it can be more nuanced than picking one side or the other, but what are your thoughts on the way things have unfolded?
2: Like I'm trying to like formulate exactly what I want to say in my head, but yeah, so it's definitely more nuanced. So I thought Gil Gross uh, put it pretty well in terms of the fact that like it's kind of like two things can be true at once for like it can. It's very true that the regulations are in place by the Australian government to To keep the community safe, but it's it can also be true that by doing that, the players are at higher risk of injury. And I also want to say, and and neither side is really wrong. I want to talk about perspectives a little bit because from the Australian perspective, that's kind of what they're used to. So of course, it makes sense to them to quarant to have everyone quarantine fourteen days. But from like an American perspective, for American players they're not used to that at all just because that's not what's been going around here, you know, in terms of this level of strictness. So from their perspective, perhaps they just don't understand that point of view as well. So I don't think that necessarily, you know, these players complaining are, are like trying to be like ungrateful brats, you know, I think they might just not truly understand like what the Australians have gone through and what, you know, in the, Strict regulations that have led to them being able to live their lives pretty normally, um, and so I think it might just be like I. Everyone just kind of has to understand the other's perspective, and two things can be right at once. I think because yeah. on Twitter, it's all it's like either screw you, Australian government, or screw you, tennis players, and it's like come on, like we can meet in the middle here. Yeah,
1: there's never ever any nuance. You know, Twitter's where nuance goes to die, obviously. And I, I think you made a really good point. Two things can't, or Gil made a good point. It's something we like to say here at Crack Rackets all of the time. Two things can be true. Players can be right to feel grievances, to feel concerned that, you know, both from a health perspective, a physical perspective, but then obviously personally in terms of their results, uh, they're concerned that they're not going to be able to perform at the level that they are accustomed to performing. And obviously this is less than ideal preparation. And it never helps when Craig Tiley says that you know, well, the top players who have their separate oh my hotel God, in Adelaide, I was about they perceive. Yes. Yeah, was they that perceive. Thing- no, exactly. It's just oh. like they. No, they are. Uh, they perceive. You know, top players that you think that get special treatment. Guess what? They do get special treatment. And I made this case on another podcast. I think Craig Tiley is on a mission, David, to be tennis's Roger Goodell. I just think he wants that title.
2: I just. I don't think he's. I don't think he can get much worse than Goodell. Um, but uh, <laughs> but I just did not. I think the whole Adelaide situation is just a is a, is a. I just don't think it's necessary. I don't understand. Yeah, I guess the U.S. Open had private housing too for top players. I don't. I don't like that. Um, and I will also say that like it's funny because like I've seen people say you know like oh, Bra is not complaining. Well, yeah. Have you seen this all around? <laughs> it looks like yeah. A- like a luxury apartment
1: compared to other players. <laughs> no, I. It's just it's not a great look. And again, Craig Tyley's going to get a lot of the grief because he's got to tell the players one thing and keep them happy, but he's also got to tell the government the other thing and actually comply with their regulations. Otherwise, the tournament's going to get shut down, and it's an incredible predicament for any human being to be in professionally. Um, but oh, he, yeah, I.
2: He's. I mean kudos for him to even getting to this point you know for sure yeah
1: no absolutely but it's it's a predicament there's no denying that either and so uh, again we'll continue to see as things unfold in australia we're going to be playing this event uh unfortunately you know they the real thing looking back is you think how did you not give an extra week of preparation time to these players in case any of them tested positive upon arrival that way you know everyone gets a week of training before the first yeah. warm up event start if anyone tests positive they can use that week it, of warm up as an additional training week I just feel like that's the obvious solution uh, which is e- really easy to say in retrospect but you know these other tournaments across the globe they weren't going to sit on their hands forever yeah. eventually they wanted to know a date, and they wanted to get rocking and rolling. So, I don't know. Any final thoughts on this, David?
2: Did you see uh, Bedosa uh, tested positive either today or overnight in the U.S.? I, uh, it's a nighttime so, it,
0: yeah, it's
1: a... F- it's a funny story because last we recorded the Thursday mini-break at one thirty a.m. Thursday morning because Matt Futterman is in Australia, and he goes, Yeah, I, I'm actually going to publish a piece on this tomorrow. Uh, I, I, I'll i hold it. He goes, When are you going to release the podcast? And I was like, Oh, uh, I think we're releasing it, I don't know, probably 10 a.m., 11 a.m. He's <laughs> like, Okay, it'll be public by then, but Bedosa tested positive for coronavirus. So I was like, No freaking way. Um, and she but, was yes. one of the
2: ones on the, that, that uh, Facebook time or Instagram live with uh Kosti really got a lot of strong reactions too. Uh
1: um, Yeah, I, bu- I believe I was going to say she was on the Abu Dhabi flight, right, with a bunch of different players. Yeah. Uh mm-hmm.
2: The one was that the fight with Kuznetsova not wearing a mask and yes no. with it not over her nose.
1: I try not to think about it, but I think so. Yeah, and it might have even been the Andrescu flight as well. But um, yeah, the point the point being, yes, in uh, another additional positive test. Hopefully, that will be the final top positive t- test particularly amongst the players. But again, you play an event in a pandemic. This is the sort of thing that can happen. So of course, uh, we will continue to monitor the storyline as we approach uh, the start of the Australian summer, but... That is not the reason we wanted to have you back on the podcast today. It is one of the reasons, but the main reason, of course, is that we want to continue our next-gen ATP 2.0 series looking at the young rising stars in the men's game currently ascending the ATP rankings. We have had so many great conversations talking about a lot of players who have had some success thus far in this 2021 season and look to be poised to have big breakouts here throughout the rest of the year. It is worth noting one of our next-gen 2.0 guys, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, unfortunately Unfortunately, testing positive for coronavirus himself will not be playing the Australian Open, but, uh, and unfortunately today we're going to be talking about another player who made the decision not to play the Australian Open, but... Probably had the best next-gen result of this 2021 season thus far on the men's side. Of course, I am talking about young 20-year-old American Sebastian Corda, who certainly, you look at what he has done over the last six months, arguably has been the best American man in tennis. Now, of course, he made that round of 16 run to Roland Garros. He won his first challenger. We're going to talk about all of these things. Of course, we'll talk about him making his first ATP final as. Well, but before we do that, Westhoff, give me that next-gen ATP 2.0 sound effect, and let's rock and roll. All right, David, here's where I want to start today's conversation. Yes, Corda has had some pro results of late that we want to talk about, but when you look at him, when you look at what he has accomplished since the start of his tennis career, this is a guy who has excelled at each and every stage.
2: Yeah, he really he really has... He, Came on the scene when I he came on the scene not too long ago, but really since the hiatus, where he would he jumped from the hiatus. He was, uh, I believe, 225 in the world or around there when the, when we first came back, and he's now 103 in the world. So, in the past six months or so, is where he's really been able to elevate his game. Um, I remember I was watching him. At the beginning of the hi- hiatus, played uh, Jules Simone in Cincinnati qualifying, and he just in the second and third sets took it to Simone, and I was like, "Wow, you know, this is I was not expecting that, but it was so impressive to watch him just pummel an established player."
1: Mm-hmm. No, and I mean, look for. No, sorry, go ahead. I was
2: just asking. Do you remember that? Did you see that match?
1: Oh, of course, and I mean for Sebastian Corda, the potential has always been obvious. This is a guy who, of course, the son of Peter Corda, former exceptional tennis player himself, and he's got prof- uh, sisters who are top professional golfers in the world, so he comes from an athletic family, and you know, when you come from an athletic family, when you come from, a, when you're the son of a former pro athlete, you're going to know how to train, how to prepare yourself to be the best pro possible, and for Corda, that allowed him to win the 2018 Australian Open Junior Singles title. That, when you look back on his pro career, uh, helped him reach the number one ranking in the ITF juniors. And, you know, is there... Is the success rate from number one junior in the world to top 100 pro always a sure thing? No, it's not, but it's more often than not that that player goes on to have success on the pro tour, and Sebastian Corda has gone on to have success early in his pro career, and, you know, we'll talk about the injuries in a second. We'll talk about, uh, you know, some of, again, the things we love about his game, some of our concerns, but uh, more importantly, uh, David, when was the moment you became aware of of his presence. When was the moment when you were like, oh, "Okay, this court kid, I'm gonna have to keep an eye on him."
2: Yeah. So the moment it's a it's a tough one. Um, but I think it was probably when he made the se- semifinals of the Sarasota Challenger in 2019. I mean, besides, you know, at the pro level, you know, he won the uh, the juniors in 2018. But at the pro level, and it was that Sarasota Challenger in 2019. Um. Uh, where he where he beat Ulysses Blanche and then took down uh, James Ward uh, and Alexander Vukic before coming up short against the uh, her own. Um, I, I can't remember if it was the quarterfinals or the semifinals, but he made a – that was his first really, like, run in the uh, – in uh, at, like, the challenger level where I was – because that's really – you know, a lot of people, you know, the difference between futures and challengers, I think, is sometimes bigger than like the difference between a challenger and a 250. So once you start having success at the challenger level, that's where I feel like you can, where I start to think like, okay, he can make it, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and then he followed it up with relatively solid performances in Tallahassee and Savannah, you know, that green clay swing. And that's, so that's really when I was like, okay, this guy can make it in the pro level. Um, it's the, Mm -hmm. do you remember? No. Do you remember
1: that? No, I mean, yeah, of course. And I mean, look, for Sebastian Corda... Uh, I think the thing that jumps out, and you know my love for Colette Lewis. She's come on this podcast now a couple of times. It's been the pleasure of my life. That's why when you ask me how am I doing, I'm doing exceptional because I had Colette Lewis on the podcast this month. So how could I be doing anything other than great? But, um, I mean, when you win a Junior Grand Slam, you're legitimate. But that wasn't the first sign of success for Sebastian Corda. It was the fact that, look, he's a guy who's been playing pro circuit matches since he was 15 years old. That was when he played his first futures event. He's a guy who got his first win on the futures tour at age sixteen. Uh, if not first title, but first you know professional victory. Yeah. Uh, he's a guy who played his first challenger at the age of seventeen. And as you mentioned, challenger level tennis—it's not a joke. Uh, you know, it—it's it, no simple task and for him what was so interesting is he plays a couple of challengers in 2017 he plays sarasota in april he plays stockton in october and then he goes back down to the futures level and in that futures he ended up making the final there as a 17 year old and for me that was a big moment because uh, it, I believe it was the Futures in Houston, yes, correct, where he loses to Kwiatkowski yeah. in the final. Yeah. Um, and that's just the sort of result you take notice of from a 17-year-old. And then what was so encouraging is after you know he has a little bit of success, I suppose, well, he makes that final, and then uh, he tries to qualify and does qualify for a Futures in Florida to end his season. But the way he played challenger qualies to start 2018, that was so fascinating to me. And look, being a Corda, it definitely helps. You're going to get wild cards. I believe he's an IMG guy, and of course you that has helped.
2: You get training with Agassi and Graff uh, Exactly.
1: <laughs> Doors open for you if you're Sebastian Corda. But guess what? He's taken advantage of each of those opportunities. I love the fact that he was playing qualies to start his 2018, and eventually uh, was able to get into his first uh, qualifier main draw, I believe, on his own merits. I want to say when did that first qualifier main draw come? Maybe at the end of the season, but then, you know, after playing qualies throughout the majority of the start of the year, he goes to the Futures that summer and rips off a really successful run. Semi-final, Champagne, finals in Decatur, then makes the finals in Edwardsville as well before going High to play U.S. Away. Open. Yeah, before going to play U.S. Open qualifying, I mean— Again, it's so first he succeeds at the junior level. Then it's okay. I've had my success. I won my junior slam. Let me go play more futures events. Now I've succeeded at the futures level. Let me go play challenger qualifying and what that does to other parts of my game. It's been a steady development from Sebastian Corda. I mean, when you look at his pro results, you have to like everything you've seen thus far, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I I feel so bad. I felt so bad for him because until November of last year, he did not. He got so close, but he never won that first uh, pro title. You know, he lost in two third set tie breaks and in a couple of other of his finals, he ha- he went to the third set and lost. And so that must have weighed on him a lot, but he kept grinding, kept working, and it eventually paid off. Um, but you're right. It, every step of the way, even though he didn't get like that future title, he still had the results that made you think, you know, this guy is going to be special. And you're right he did have a lot of uh, support behind him because of who he is but he he still was willing to grind it out he wasn't you know except yeah you know, he wasn't like just relying on wild cards to move his ranking up at all. Mm-hmm.
1: No, it's it's just so funny to me. I think it's so stupid. But this is, I just want to point this out. This is why anyone who says, well, FAA is 0-6 in finals. That's a huge deal. You know, Sebastian Corda's 1-9 in in finals. We don't seem to think that's a big deal. 0-1 in his 1 ATP final. FAA, if you want to go through how many challengers he's won, it's a lot. Um, and he, you know, he had so much success in the early stages of his career. So, I think again to make this many finals by the age of 20 to do it at a couple of different levels and you know again he reaches his first challenger final in July of 2019 in Nur-Sultan he makes another one indoors in the hard court in Champagne to end the season in November where he loses 7-6 in the third to JJ Wolf uh, of course he got his first challenger Sixth title at the end I of
2: too.
1: Yeah exactly he got he got his first ch- challenger title I was going to say at the end of last season uh, in the indoor hard courts as well and then that first ATP final in Delray Beach here to start the year so again if you're Sebastian Corda, it's the constant signs of growth at each and every level of the game that is probably most encouraging but then of course you actually watch him play and beyond mm-hmm. the statistics beyond the results he's put forward he passes the eye test as well David and let's talk about those things now when you watch Sebastian Corda. what are the things that jump out at you what are the things you are most impressed about uh by his game
2: I mean that he just has such a well-rounded game and we saw the end of last season and when I was watching him in Delray I'm just like wow so what happened so I saw in Delray that was maybe different than even in last season was first off his service his first serve is more pop his first serve is more pop his backhand his favorite shot's his backhand, and it's clear that that's his best shot in my eyes, at least, because he can absolutely step into that shot and crush flat backhands deep in the court with good with great consistency. Um, I think that his return of serve is also what impresses me so much. He made Isner's serve look like uh, nothing special at all, which is – which is remarkable in the in both uh, the French Open last year and Delray this year, um, which is just so nice to see. Um, forehand, I'm getting, I, that's something I think he can improve a little bit, but he gets, it's decent. Um, and he, I think he mentioned this before. I think he, he knows when to come to net. He's smart. He's thinking out there, and I think that his he's fast. He's six five, but he's you know he's good speed around the court. What do, you, what do you think?
1: No, that's a perfect place to start because when you think Sebastian Corda, the first thing that comes to my mind is he's your definition of the modern men's tennis player. He is six foot four, six foot five, six foot six, somewhere in that range. Who knows? When you're twenty years old, I was still growing. Uh, I imagine he is probably still growing as well. And you know, he fills out his frame well. He's not you know paper thin. He's a guy who uh, uses his size, his strength to take balls early, and as you mentioned, he uses his speed to beat it to the spot so he can take that ball down the line, and I don't think, you know, in terms of his movement, because when you talk about the modern-day, you know, fluidity with that combination of length and top-end speed, the two guys who jump to my mind are Zverev and Medvedev, right? They're, they epitomize and yeah. honestly. You can throw Hachinov in there as well. And I don't think Korda is quite in that uh, category of mover, but it's very Tsitsipas-like, right? In just his power around the court, his anticipation skills, he's never going to be categorized as a bad mover, right? Like, it's not... Yeah, I, I always say this example. I feel bad because he's gotten so much better. It's not Taylor Fritz where there's, you're just like, oh, okay, the athleticism yeah. might be an issue. The athleticism's not an issue for Corda, but he's not quite as fluid as those top-tier next-gen movers.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know how Medvedev moves around the court like he does at his height. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like, I, I mean, he's one of the best movers in the game. And But, yeah, no, Corda's definitely not on that level. I totally agree. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I I was impressed. I've been been impressed though, given his height and just his game that he moves the way he does. It's it's going to be enough that it's not going to hinder him at all. You know, we've talked about, you know, I think in in this podcast in the past how some players need to improve. And I don't think it's something that like he needs to improve. It's just never going to be like a or a Zverev. Yeah, and by the way, that's
1: not a diss. Like the the fundamental takeaway here should be Sebastian Corda is a very good mover for his size. It's I don't know is it Hercots esque? I still even think Hercots might be a step or two more fluid at this point, but. Hercots is also, what, three or four years older than Korda? So I, I wouldn't say whobie Hercots is, you know, it, it's not too different from that. But, of course, in terms of their game style from the baseline, very, very different. And that is the thing where Sebastian Corda stands out because you watch his contact point with the ball. He looks like someone who's had a racket in his hand since the day he was born. He looks like someone who just makes the game look so easy. The ball absolutely explodes off of both. Both of his ground stroke wings in particular, the way he can hit that backhand through the court, David, I am a sucker for a good two hand backhand. He's got it.
2: Yeah. And the timing is just perfect with oh, it. And, yep. and he, it's always like, you know, sometimes, you know, some players feel like they're, you know, you think they're like shanking every you know, ball when they're but with him. It just feels like everything is just in that uh, sweet spot of the racket. And he, He's so smart out there on court. He knows the the shot selection I I think is is fantastic uh, for such a young player and yeah, that backhand. It, there's a reason why it's his favorite shot. He hits that. I just I don't I don't want to get to the player comparison yet uh if you don't want to, but it reminds me of of the player that you mentioned on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> so, uh
1: yeah. No, no, no. Leave this—no spoiler yet. Well, I mean, look, if it leaks over, yes, it'll come eventually. But to me, it's it's almost zverev on that side. And I don't say that lightly because I think Alex Zverev is probably the first player— and this is not talking about him personally again. This is his game—is the first player, maybe outside of Andy Murray, to approach the Djokovic stratosphere with the backhand to where if it's clicking with what he can do with his mobility and his flexibility on the run and his ability to go short. Angle, but drive cross-court, drive down the line. Corda can do all of that as well, and it's a linear ball. It is a more drive than topspin-based shot, but, I mean, he can just open up the court so well with it, and you used the word smart. I would use the word measured as well. He's just so precise in the choices he's making. He understands, okay, my pattern is cross-court, cross-court, line. Or my pattern is cross-court, cross-court, right. line, inside, out, forehand, inside, in, forehand. And it's just every—you you never question the thought process for Seppi Corda. You're never going to be like, oh, why'd he slap that ball? That was stupid. Now, sometimes he may be a little bit more aggressi- uh, aggressive than you'd like, but it's in the context of his broader game style Uh, again, as you mentioned me mentioning, I always like being quoted back to myself. Uh, he does, you know, he doesn't. He's not a comfortable volleyer yet, but he is comfortable at the net. He does know where to put his body, where to you know, where to be and what to read and what to expect as a passing shot from his opponent. And, you know, sometimes again the execution on the volley is a little bit sloppy, but I I really like where his body is and I think being at the net will be a part of his game style moving forward, and I think he's got the tools to be that sort of aggressive player. Would you agree?
2: I completely agree, and it's just, you know, he's still so young, 19 years old, it's going to take some time, and I also want to mention on the backhand, his return of serve on the backhand is also, he, he knows he's very uh, measured and smart in where he's placing the ball and the type of return that he needs to do, whether to be the chip or to go for it, um, and I, uh, I've been just so impressed with him. he's really sustaining this success, even through, you know, you know, the off season clearly didn't stop his momentum. It just enhanced it. What do you, what do you think of his forehand? Um, so I think, I don't think it's like a major weakness, but it was, it's definitely, it's something I talked about in the least braver things about this player's game, just because there's not really a a lot I don't like. Um, I think that it's, it's a bit clunky, um, and it's a, it's easier to, ru- definitely easier to rush him on the forehand compared to the back end. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's where the, I don't want to say he's not
1: a fluid athlete, but the lack of elite fluidity, he gets a little stiff sometimes, right? It feels like he pulls up on that shot and it is very Tomas Berdych. at the same time. The forehand still definitely a weapon, right? He's still fluid off of that wing. And when he turns into it, I mean, his ability to just keep his momentum going forward, get his weight into that shot. Uh, it works. Now that's where, by the way, the Berdych comparison for me just jumps out. Therefore, Forehands were almost, it feels like, built similarly. The way they load on their hips, mm-hmm. the way they really just have such a solid base to hit the shot. Uh, that's, to me, where the, the that comparison jumps out the most. But again, I do think the forehand is the side that will spray on him. I still think, at a minimum, it's going to be an above-average ATP forehand.
2: Yeah, yeah, this is all relative. Because I really yeah. think that his game... Was- really no huge weaknesses you know when there there's some players that you see like oh my god you know his forehand so much better than his backhand or his backhand so much better than his forehand with with Corda, it's not really like that it's all his forehand just isn't as good as his backhand but it certainly has good depth placement and power solid enough to that it's mm-hmm. not something that a player can target and just abuse on every point you know
1: That's the other reason why he is the definition of a modern player, in my opinion. There's no discernible weakness. He does everything pretty well. Now, is he the best? At defense, no. And when you have Sebastian Corda six feet behind the baseline, as it felt like Hubie Hercotts did, of course, Corda was a little bit injured in that Delray Beach final. That's how you beat him. You have to take it to him, and that's not an easy task to do because, as you mentioned early on, uh, six foot five profile, he's got the f- foundation to be a top server on tour. And I want to <laughs> look at the numbers of where we are at so far because you look in his career averages at the challenger level thus far, he's averaged a six. 62% uh, on his first serves going in, he's won 69% of those points, 49% of his second serve points in pro tour matches, uh, ATP level matches, excuse me. 67% first serve in percentage, he's won 67% of those points, 51% of his second serve points. Now, the most impressive thing to me, and it was a small sample size, but you look during the 2020 season, David, he averaged, I think it's something like 68% of his first serves cross challenger and tour level matches were going in he was winning about 66 67 percent of those first serve points that's not elite yet but for a 20 year old or a 19 year old however old he was last season that is the sign of the potential to be an elite server
2: absolutely and like i said before i noticed there was definitely more pop on his serve in 2021 compared to what I remembered from 2020 um, on his first serve. And I think perhaps the, I think he could probably put a touch more in the second serve, which I also talk about in, in the article just and maybe. And that's just because I didn't notice such a big leap in the second serve when, you know, when you see such a big leap in his first serve, you, you know, it becomes more, you know, apparent if this, serve doesn't take that leap with it but I definitely think those numbers are still really solid for someone so young and he is like you know we shouldn't be expecting I I think I say this all the time but we shouldn't 19 years old we should not be expecting this guy to be John Isner out there on serve you know already in his career and know, someone like Riley Opelka to have such a great serve at such a young age that's not like normal you know
1: well, also, we talk about it all the time on this show. Riley Opelka's serve can still get better. You watch him serve and you think, okay, the first serve percentage really isn't that great yet. He still hovers kind of around 60, and you would like that number to get closer to 65 as he goes through his career because that's just such a, and I, I like this term now a lot as well, it's a low hanging fruit, right? The serve, mm-hmm. the first serve percentage is the easiest thing. It's the controllable, the thing you can improve the most as a tennis player. And if you're Sebastian Corda, That's what you love as well is that – It still feels like there's room for growth in that serve as his body continues to fill out as he's able to generate more power from his legs. There's no doubt the serve will be the biggest benefactor uh, of that improvement in strength and then again for him so young in his career to already be winning over 63% of his first serve points. uh, That shows that first serve is the weapon. That shows he knows once that first serve goes in what to do with his plus one ball. What to do with the rest of his game, and that is why, again, when you look at Sebi Korda, I think for all of us, we will be more shocked uh, if he doesn't than if he does crack the top 100 during this 2021 season because that's how good he's been of late, David. You look in his last 52 weeks, so this goes back to the start of January 27th, 2020, he's 26-10, and 10. and obviously, you know, during that stretch, the Roland Garros round of 16, the Delray Beach final, even more impressive, but if you narrow that uh, that time span, David, to just the restart, uh, to you go to uh, when he came back in August of 2020, do uh, you want to try and guess what his record has been since then?
2: Oh man, I would say it's like me. He probably only has like uh, six losses, maybe
1: nineteen and five. Th- nineteen and five. It's it's unbelievable. And it, like yeah. Emmy, you look- no, look at who the losses are too. Quickly, and sorry to cut you off. Uh-huh. Rusevori, seven-five sa- in the third in round of sixty-four of Western Southern. I think we would agree that's not a bad loss. U.S. Open, uh, round of uh, first round, four-set loss to Denis Shapovalov. We all remember that match. It really legitimately felt like Quarter was going to beat Shapovalov for a hot second. There, he loses to Rafa. He loses to Housler quarterfinals in Ismaning, which you know you could debate <laughs> should There's he
2: play indoors.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, that was first indoor back on hardcourt. And then, of course, his other loss coming to Hercots in the Delray Beach Final. This is a guy who, for the last six months, has been a top 100 player.
2: Yeah, and I just want to highlight some of the players he beat during these runs. So, like, for instance, in at Roland Garros, the qualifying, he beat Aslan Karatsev, who I wrote about recently, who is just tearing up the tour. He beat Isner. He beat Pedro Martinez, who's a really—at the French Open. He's a really good clay quarter. In Ekintal— he, to win that title, he had to beat some really good challenger players. Uh, Tomas Machak, uh, Papyrin, uh Ilya Vashka, Ramanathan, who's serving volleying on carpet is a nightmare. This is, he's really, and then just this week in Delray, you know, Tommy Paul, John Isner, Sunwoo Kwon, Nori. These are all really good players that he's consistently beating now.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I
2: mean, look, I,
1: I brought this up, uh, or you brought this up in terms of his skills as a returner. The fact that he's got two wins over Isner already in his career, and you look at what he was able to do in those matches, was able you know, to put enough returns in the court to break Isner twice, I believe, in Delray Beach, and when they played uh, in in Roland Garros, I believe he broke him three different times. And in both of those matches, he hovered close to the 50% mark on win percentage of Isner's second serves, which is what you have to do when you're playing John Isner. And because of his height and his length, he's able to take the return of serve early as well. And so it's again, another proficient aspect of his game. And it's funny, you mentioned that Pedro Martinez-Portero win. One of my bold selections going into last year's French Open, and you all can check the tape. I said, Pedro, Martinez Portero was going to make the fourth round. I said he was going to be the guy to knock off Isner. Now, unfortunately for me, Corda ended up beating yeah. him around early and then Corda knocked off Martinez Portero, but I feel like I still came pretty close, so I'll chalk that one up as a victory. But yeah, I mean, what's also so impressive is you look for Corda in his young career. It's translated across surfaces, folks. I mean, he's what? I think 53 and 42, 56% win percentage on hard courts. That's lower. Than his 60 and 38 61% win percentage on clay courts. And, you know, I think if you're projecting Sebastian Corda, you probably think he's going to be a better hardcore player than clay court player. Just given how aggressive, and well, his, how, how much he firepower he has.
2: He says his favorite surface is clay. Actually. Um, yeah, you can say what you want, but yeah, yeah. Overall, he has a 60% uh, win percentage in his career with 120 wins, 81 losses, which is really good. Um, excellent uh, and it's showing in his ranking he's now just outside the top 100 which is just like to think that as I mentioned earlier he, he was 225 at the beginning of the hiatus which, I mean at the end of the hiatus which is really not that long ago is just yeah. unbelievable
1: 60% through his first 200 matches. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That is a really, really good record for any young player. And, of course, you want to look, where, as you mentioned, he's number 103 currently in the live rankings. You look at where that puts him. He's the 10th highest ranked American man right now on tour, uh, David. And, of course, there are nine guys currently in the top 100. But, you know, would it shock you if Sebi Corda ends up as... The fifth or sixth highest ranked American, if he gets up in there with the Fritz, Opelka, Tommy Paul, Tiafo uh, quartet inside that top 75 range at the end of the 2021 season, I, I don't think it would shock yeah. any of us if that's the case. And so, you know, again, that's we, we it's been such a positive podcast, and I like to do that because so often it's easy to talk about the negatives. And by the way, I keep bringing this up. It's hilarious how last summer was the summer of Brandon Nakashima, and then it was Sebastian Corda who comes out in the fall. I was like, no, 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 I'm the young American to watch, guys. Like, let, let me just show you why. Uh, but, you know, you look for Sebi. What are the things you're looking for him to improve on? What are the things that concern you, maybe, uh, that might prevent him from reaching the high ceiling that all of us seem to think he might
2: have? Yeah, so really, as we've been talking about, modern-day tennis player, no real weaknesses. I think slight improvements to the second serve and then the forehand. Um, I, I'm, I'm not again, I'm not saying the forehand is bad by any stretch, and I, but I definitely think that's probably the most just to just because, like I said, he can it's easier to rush him from that wing and he definitely looks less comfortable on that side. Um, so if he can just make marginal improvements to that and maybe just add a few miles per hour to the second serve, I really th- I see I cannot be more excited about Corda's potential. Mm
1: -hmm. No, I I completely agree with you. I think for me, again, whenever you're saying, well, it'd be nice if he could be a little bit quicker, if you could work on his movement. If you're telling a 20 year old, hey, can you work on your movement? That's probably the best thing you could ask for them because that is something they can control so well. I need to see... I don't want to say I need to see a plan B because he is a guy who knows what he should be doing when he's on the defensive. He knows how to turn a defensive position into offense. Again, that's where he uses his length to beat you to the spot and can generate these power from the outer thirds of the court. But, you know, the... The, the fluidity from the outer thirds, the ability to play three, four defensive shots in a row without feeling mm-hmm. the need to pull the trigger and reassert yourself. Although, again, I, I kind of like that he does that because I kind of like that he's trying to assert himself in each and every match, even when he's on, in a defensive position. But, you know, you would always like the defensive skills to get a little bit better. He he will become a better volleyer with more repetitions. That's just something we need to see more of. Uh, one thing... And correct me if I'm wrong because I'm looking through his pro results and I do see a lot of matches played over the course of the season. And for some reason I feel like, and I know we've had him on the podcast, maybe he talked about that then, I believe he had a back injury Early in his career, correct? Which kept him out for a little bit. Um, I'm not saying that's something that's going to linger because I think he has recovered. I think it kept him out for the month of May maybe in 2019 or there was a long hiatus. I feel like this happened. And tell me if I'm crazy here, David. But uh, that I, is something because I know he's had yeah. little nagging injuries.
2: Because I know his sister had a back injury more recently.
1: Um, mm-hmm. Let me – let's see – I, I a little mean, bit of research here on spot.
2: Um, But I definitely think that, you know, if I think Indrio for he plays as, you know, he needs to be 100% to play, you know, his game. You know, he's cause the movement, everything, you know, if he, as we saw in the, uh, in the uh, uh, Delray final, when his move, when he, he kind of, his body kind of broke down on him a little bit. When, and in the final, he couldn't put it together, um, which was sad to see because he was having such a great week. And I really did think if he was 100% healthy, he could have beaten her Her cast. So injuries are always a concern with players, um, especially because you're right. He has been playing a lot of tennis, and he's been going far, far in the tournaments he's played. Um, so... Mm-hmm.
1: I've got it. By the way, Fairfield Challenger. It was, I believe, 2019. Uh, he he did. He suffered a cracked, uh He suffered a cracked disc. That was a typo here in the copy. He said suffered a cracked a disc. Suffered a cracked disc in his lower back. Ooh. He has since recovered. Obviously, kept him out for a month. But look, I never like it when a young person has a back injury. If anyone's ever thrown out their back, you know you're just like, God damn it. Like, what do I do now? Like, it's just, it's horrible. But uh, I'm not saying injuries are going to be a concern, but much like you said, this is a guy who needs to be healthy and fit, and I think he always will be because he's clearly someone who takes his preparation seriously. And again, in terms of the off-court intangibles, having spoken with him for a few interviews, this guy just, he checks off every box. He's, you know, calm as a cucumber on the court as well. You just love his mentality. Are cucumbers calm? I've never really understood cool as a cucumber. That's what it is, not calm as a cute climber. Excuse me. Hey, great shot. Um but I just yeah, I, I, it's it's tough because like you want to say, "Oh, he needs to improve this, he needs to improve this." Otherwise, why isn't he already top 100? Well, again, he's 19 and 5 in his last 6 months of competition.
2: He's currently working Challenger and Pro. Uh, and <laughs>
1: Exactly. So it's clear that he's working his way there. Now we can get into the fun stuff. Give me the pro comp. You best came to when you look at Sebastian Corda.
2: I, I you know what? I maybe I was lazy. Maybe I just I but honestly, I could not see anything else but your comparison to Thomas Burdich. Uh,
1: it's just it's so obvious,
2: right? Yeah. And when I looked at I looked and they're actually the exact same height, 6'5", and it just all makes sense. You know, and now I will never unsee that.
1: <laughs> well again there's nothing I like being court uh no court quote I like hearing more than my own uh so I'm gonna agree with you again the forehand similarities go watch Tomas Burdich hit a forehand then go watch Sebastian Korda hit a forehand honestly the Tomas Burdich backhand pretty fluid as well and I we've you know lavished so much praise
2: me of, of each other a lot um, when I See
1: watch. for me, it's the it's a very zverevy backhand, and I don't say that lightly because I do think it's court's fluidity on that side. It just feels like it doesn't. If, if the ball's on that wing, it doesn't really matter how deep his opponent hits it. He is going to respond with a shot that is service line or deeper. That is probably going to be in the outer thirds of the court, and it's going to, at a minimum, get the point back to neutral. And it's just yeah. like that backhand is special.
2: I will say, I think that Burdich's serve is better than Korda's at this point. Um, Burdich had a fantastic serve, um, and that's something that Korda can aspire to. Uh,
1: Mm -hmm. I completely agree with you there. I would say Korda, though, a little more fluid than Burdich in terms of game style and you know Burdich it just felt like he was so one speed so robotic and by the way that one speed was a top 10 speed in tennis for nearly a decade so there's nothing wrong with that but it does feel like and again I think some of that's a product of modernity there is a little bit more beyond that two quarters game at least it looks like if this is his development early on that there can be
2: yeah no I can I completely agree um I hate saying that. I completely agree with everything you're saying, but, like, I I, I I agree. I mean, 100%. No,
1: and, I mean, look, that gets to the upside. Tomas Burdich was a guy who made a Grand Slam final and won a Masters event and was top 10 for the majority of his career. Is that what you see for Sebastian Corda?
2: Oh, man. See, that's a very high bar to set.
1: I know. Yeah, I it's tough. Say,
2: I would say, you know what, I would – I feel very confident saying he'll be top 20.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, all right, so I'm going to, again, this is a thought exercise. I gave you no preparation, but I mentioned the fact that he's currently the number 10 American man in the rankings. The guys who are in his relative age range and close to him, Francis Tiafo, 62, Tommy Paul, 53, uh, Opelka currently number 40, Fritz number 30, of course, JJ Wolf, 127, Nakashima right now, 170, and there are other guys, Cressy Moe are around that range as well, do you think of this current of all of the current Americans on tour, American men? Sebastian Corda ends up with the highest career
2: high. Oh man, I would say not a, not I including don't want, Isner. Not I don't including want to Isner. Fall into recency bias. Um, I know. So I would say, for me, out of all the guys you mentioned, I think the guy with the highest upside is Opelka. Um yeah. So I would say no. I I don't think he has a higher ranking, you know, career high than Opelka. Um, I I still see like a guy like Taylor Fritz is still like improving in my eyes. Um, you know, even after you know he kind of stagnated for a bit after the twenty after the twenty fifteen twenty sixteen you know the Challengers and then Memphis, but I think he's back. Like his serve has gotten much better. Um, I you know it's hard to say. I I think that he that. Definitely a quarter has one of the most well-rounded games out of everyone you mentioned. Um, but I think Opelka ends up having the highest ranking.
1: See, this time I get to be the one who agrees with you. I've had Riley Opelka in my outskirts of Tier 1, Tier 2 of these next-gen players since 2015, 16, 17 range because, again, when that serve gets elite, look out to move and do the things he can do from the baseline at his size. Uh, you just... We've never seen that in tennis before, even in Isner, even in Karlovic, and so I completely agree with you there. He's not the athlete that Tommy Paul or Francis Tiafo is, and just their athleticism keeps them alive in so many matches, but a Taylor Fritz comparison wouldn't be horrible either because just the way they strike ground strokes, the natural pop of the ball, the way it explodes off of their racket... Uh, you just—it's it, an eye test thing. You watch it for three seconds, and you're like, "Okay, that—that guy's good at tennis." Uh, okay, that backhand—that's that, a good one. Like, you can just tell, even if you're a casual observer. Um, I—in fact, I remember because I think I want to say he played. Uh, I, I was home and he was playing. Uh, what I, I was watching him on TV, and my mom walked in and she goes, "Who's that?" And I was like, oh, it's Sebastian Corda, Peter Corda's kid. And you know Peter Corda. And she was like, no, but he's good. And I was like, yeah, he is good. <laughs> I was like, I agree. And it's like, my mom hasn't seen that much tennis, but even right away, she's seen enough to where it jumped out to her. And she was like, that kid is very, very good. Um, and I just think he passes the eye test. He's got the pedigree as well. Uh, I, I he has the report behind him. Exactly. I just think in terms of his floor, he may have the highest floor of all those guys. Like, I just think if healthy, he's going to be a top 50 player. It's very Fritz-ish, where it's just like with the Fritz serve, with the Fritz ground strokes, he is going to beat a lot of people he is better than. I think that's going to be similar for Sebastian Korda. I really do think the floor is top 50 And I think the ceiling is upwards towards the top 10 range. It really depends how his athleticism develops over the course of the next few seasons. Uh, We didn't talk about the Roland Garros run too much. It was noticeable that he did not have the athleticism yet to hang with a Rafa Nadal. And you do wonder, with some of the athletes we see in the modern game, is he dynamic enough of a player to Win a Grand Slam, to win a Masters one thousand title, maybe not, but I don't know. When you look Too early, for I projection, would... yeah, exactly. I, I very much agree. Too early to say that, but in terms of projections for twenty twenty one, top seventy five, David, at a minimum.
2: Yeah, it's it's so hard because of the whole like shift in the rankings right now. So it's harder to yeah. Move up. Um, I would a hundred percent expect him to be in the top. I won't say 100, hundred ninety nine percent expecting to be in the top 75 Um,
1: Mm -hmm. no 99.9 percent for the top 100 it's like uh it's you're the you know the the greater than uh nine or you know when it's like such an infinitesimal chance something has to go horribly wrong for him to not make the top 100 this season
2: because of how he's been able to do things on clay hardcore carpet i expect it to be the same on grass Mm-hmm. He's really just able to you know there's he's not he's certainly not a hard court or clay court specialist at all.
1: Yeah, no, that's the thing. That's another aspect of the modern player and that might be the title of it, Sebastian Court of the Modern Player uh is his game seems to translate across three surfaces. And that's where the Hercot's element of his body type comes in. It just feels like they're guys who can do they can play the speed, you know, the speed of the mm-hmm. court regardless of what it is because of the weapons that they have, and it's just it's really, really exciting. He has been really good of late. You're right. You don't want recency bias, but a last fun question for you. Korda's backhand or Nakashima's backhand? Which are you taking? If
2: they get in a bar night fight. Okay, more recency bias because I'm still thinking about Nakashima's lost or rendered match this morning. Uh, I, would say, I would say, oh man, I hate to... I, because I've been talking so much, of it, not because she was back in, but I'm going to go with Corda.
1: You take quarter because of the size, right? Yeah, That's probably why you have to do it. But they're both phenomenal. Some of these backhands, Tommy Paul's backhand, Francis Tiafo's backhand, Taylor Fritz's backhand. Honest to God, if you watch enough Riley Opelka, you realize how much better his backhand is than his forehand as well. Uh, I really love the backhands of some of these Americans. And it's so funny, right, because we were the plus one uh, country. We were the big serve, big forehand. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, 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 we learned. It just took us a little longer. Longer, but we figured our stuff out. Like, don't worry. Give us a second. Uh, we're we we're, we're slow learners here in America. But eventually we get our shit together. But, yeah, I mean, again, when you talk about Sebastian Korda, uh it's impossible to feel anything but excitement about his future. So, you know, any final thoughts on him, what to expect this season, and just, you know, what to look for moving forward?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I hope that we don't put – and maybe this, you know, podcast is – contributing to it just put too much pressure on him you know he's still young he's he's gonna have some you know ups and downs it's not gonna be like this linear uh road to the top of the game and but I'm really excited about him and you know it's great to see I seriously took things in the offseason training with Steffi Graf and Andre Agassi that was cool to see and yeah, I mean, he, his family, I mean, even his mom was a top 30 in the world, I think. Um, so he really has, the, has a great uh, support system, and I'm excited to see how high he can get.
1: Mm-hmm. There's nothing more enjoyable than watching all athlete families succeed. I don't know why, but it just feels like if you have that recipe for success and you do, it's pretty cool. You're like, oh, yeah, this guy's got it. Um, I agree with you. I think you know The reason we do a podcast like this is because we acknowledge Sebastian Korda's got the talent. Like he can absolutely do it, and you mentioned the word linear progression, I think it's fair to say thus far in his career it's been exponential yeah. progression the way he's jumped from level to level and I think we saw it with Fritz with Tiafo that things do level out once you're you know once you 're in the big dance, once you're playing five hundred events and master's one thousand events without having to play qualifying, then there's an adjustment period, and there's no doubt that adjustment period will probably happen for Sebastian Corda in the next. I don't know, season, two seasons, maybe even three seasons, and we should all expect that, but he's someone who's going to get that opportunity soon because of the growth we've seen so early in his game, and I agree with you. I just think enjoy this generation of young Americans because I think we are going to legitimately have at least five of them in the top 50 For the majority of their careers, the young Americans, mean the guys, you know, like the 95s, 96s, and youngers. I do think we're going to get a lot of bites at the apple, and maybe it doesn't produce a Grand Slam champion, but it's going to produce some really good tennis. So I think that's something all of us can get excited about. And again, Sebastian Corda, someone we have circled as one of the future next-gen ATP 2.0 stars that we will be watching most closely uh, throughout this 2021 season. With that in mind, David, any final thoughts before we let you go?
2: no thank you for having me and yeah it'd be nice to have you know a bunch of americans in the top 50 uh it's uh been a little while
1: (laughs) no absolutely and for our listeners out there wondering though uh what can they expect from you over these next few weeks as with australia lumen
2: definitely some i'm I'm definitely planning on a lot of content uh with the australian open coming up it's i love uh I i love that countdown uh And uh, I'm really uh, that the Australian Open has been doing and I'm just excited to, you know, hopefully things run smoothly. Hopefully there's not too many injuries. I think we also have to keep in mind with the heat that it's going to be tough on the players in that way, too. But hopefully it's a smooth tournament and everyone's healthy. And. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, again, for our listeners, where can they read all of your stuff?
2: Yeah, so at tennis blogger one on Twitter, I um, am also right for Last Word on Tennis, and then I am writing for Crack Rackets too, and I'm even and I'm on Reddit. I don't know if any I'm on Reddit tennis a little bit. <laughs> I uh, used to be too, um, which is always fun. Uh,
1: Uh, Always always love the Reddit plug. No, that's great. And, yeah, again, we've got some cool things in the works, so we will be sure to have you back on the podcast soon. And I am sure there will be another next-gen ATP 2.0 name to emerge. Someone once told me I kind of look like Tiago Sabathville, and I didn't know whether to be flattered. Yeah, I was going to say I didn't know whether to be flattered, angry by that, whether that was a mean thing to say to him. Um, But, you know, so Another there's loss a world where, this week.
2: Huh, for, yeah, I
1: perhaps guess. if – yeah, once he straightens things out, perhaps we will talk about him later on this season. But, David, it is always a pleasure. Stay safe, stay healthy. And, you know, will you watch our Wolverines win this weekend? They've got a big match against Baylor in college tennis, and it it's probably one actually – it's a tough one. It's in Ann Arbor, but Baylor probably the favorite in that match. We're going to need some support. So even if virtually, uh, you know, come on. Come watch with us.
2: Yeah, it, it, Michigan. How about that basketball team? They're uh,
1: now I, <laughs> no Michigan basketballs is irrelevant. It's all about the tennis. Come on, I know we're what twelve and one.
2: Yeah, I, I my friends say I'm being a little negative. I, I I I don't know if they can keep this off, but I'm I'm excited for uh, how it's going now. And yeah, the, you know, the tennis program. I you know Baylor's a top team too. So let's I hope root them on and see what happens. <laughs>
1: What what happens first? Sebastian Corda cracks the top thirty of the ATP rankings, or Jawan Howard gets an NBA coaching job?
2: Uh, I I would say Corda because I think that's coming sooner rather than later.
1: <laughs> well, sadly for me, I think Jawan. I think we've got maybe three years left. Like, let's soak it up while we can because he's gonna get an NBA job. But yeah, no, I I think it's you know, look, it's a fun time to be a Michigan fan. It's a
2: fun well, time. Yeah, it's football. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, yeah, good point. But that's why, again, it's all about Michigan tennis, David. That's the story always. And as always, David, thank you so much for talking with us. We will be sure to chat with you again soon.
2: Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yep. Take care, my man.
1: Hope all of you enjoyed the latest edition of our next-gen ATP 2.0 series breaking down the game of young American Sebastian Corda clearly both David and I think Corda is capable of doing some pretty special things not only in 2021 but throughout the course of his career so we look forward to seeing how he plays during this 2021 season and of course a huge thank you to David as always for taking the time to chat to read more about David's thoughts on Korda my thoughts on Corda, go check out our next gen ATP 2.0 article on him we also of course have talked about so many players this offseason Brandon Nakashima JJ Wolf. your Rodianov, Emil Rusivori, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, Lorenzo Musetti. If you want to check out any of that, be sure to go to our website, crackrackets.com, where, of course, you'll find all of our coverage of this 2021 uh, tennis year, whether that be at the professional level, at the college level, all of our podcasts available there. And wherever else you listen to your podcast, so please like, rate, subscribe, review this show, our Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, Inside Out, and The Sideline Podcast. Look, I wouldn't ask if it didn't help. Uh, I, I don't know why it helps, but something about the metrics, something, uh, it's above my pay grade, folks. But if you have the spare second, please go like, rate, subscribe, review to all of our crack Racket shows. Be sure, if you want some additional coverage, to join our Patreon family, our Monday and Friday Match of the Day segments where I break down the thing I am watching most closely closely in the tennis world, both to start the week and then, of course, heading into the weekend and a bunch of other fun Patreon stuff for all of you Crack Rackets fans to enjoy, so be sure to go check that out. And, of course, to all of you who are part of our Patreon family, thank you, because it allows us to do things such as our Red Zone coverage of this past weekend's ITA kickoff. Uh, of course, Matt Hall- uh, Mastico, yeah, Chris Hallioris, and I will be on the Great Shot Podcast, I think, Wednesday to recap all of that action, so be on the lookout for that. If you want to hear from any of the coaches, of course, be sure to go check out our Cracked Interviews podcast. Uh, and as always, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in, day off. I almost didn't swear there because I've been on broadcast mode this past weekend, so I wasn't supposed to swear. We're back in podcast mode here, so I can swear he will edit it out. And as always, uh, best in the business, folks. You enjoyed our Red Zone coverage. It's because he was able to figure it out as he always uh, is. Of course, a huge thank you to our friends at Midwest Sports as well. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to let them know that we sent you there. But with that in mind, For my wonderful co-host, David Gertler, our super producers, Fliegner and Westhoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, that's the break. We will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.